Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI.com's Brian Strauss and Levy Bird. And guys, uh, let's jump right in to USA-Mexico, the latest edition of Dos Acero. Uh, obviously, not all Dos Aceros are created equally. A lot, of, a lot of different talking points in this one than past ones. Brian, let's start with you. You were there. Uh, just, just describe the scene in, in San Antonio. It looked pretty wild. I, oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think the scene was probably what everyone listening right now is thinking uh, and the question that I faced most often down there, which is, where's Grant? <laughs> Grant on, uh, on, a, on a well-deserved vacation. Uh, but, but in the meantime, you... Uh, in the meantime. You, yeah, you, no, no. I, 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 four or five people asked me that question, and... And I, you know, when people ask me why I put soccer, Sports Illustrated's other soccer writer on my Twitter bio, that is why. Uh, no, Grant is in France enjoying himself. Hi, Grant. We miss you. Um, it was a, it was a fun week. Uh, you know, uh, you know, fr- it's a friendly, so it's, uh, you know, no one's taking themselves too seriously or ripping their hair out. Um, obviously, U.S. Mexico always brings people out. Um, and, and San Antonio was the first time the U.S. had played there since the late 80s. Um, so there, there was a you know, there was a hunger for the game and, and, and it's a neat, I'd never been there before. It's a neat city uh, to have a game like that in because the stadium is, is, a, is a short walk from downtown. So all throughout the day, you know, people milling around the river walk and the Alamo area, tons of jerseys, um, a lot of, uh, you know, mixed families, you know, a uh, father in a U.S. jersey, mother in a Mexico jersey, you know, people wearing the half and half jerseys. Um, you know, you really get a sense of what this rivalry is about and what the relationship between the two countries is about. Uh, all kinds of people and packs. I mean, it, it was it was a great scene. So uh, and then obviously it led into a, a fun game. You know, the field notwithstanding. Yeah, it was garbage, but whatever. Both teams played on it. And, uh, you know, I think both teams carried themselves well and they meant well and they tried to attack. And, and I thought it was a fun game. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, from a, an April friendly on a non FIFA date featuring, you know, B list, C list players you're you're kind of hoping uh for for some entertainment some talking points and and the u.s definitely got one in in jordan morris right i mean this he's 20 years old he's a sophomore at stanford university uh and and jurgen starts him against mexico of course he does and of course he scores uh it, it was it was quite the moment for him uh and you know we've we've seen u.s players in in the past uh be young do well at the start and then nothing happens after that so we'll see what happens with Jordan Morris. But Livy, what was your takeaway from Morris? I know you know him a little bit from the Seattle area. You played with his brother actually in college. Uh, just what was your thoughts on on his performance and, and him as a player as a whole? Well, I think first of all, Jurgen Klinsmann deserves a little bit of credit for a lot of these experiments that he comes up with, with throwing younger players into the fire, whether it's you know Jordan Morris or whether it's DeAndre Yedlin at the World Cup or even Julian Green in the brief appearance he had in Brazil. It seems to work out one way or another for him. Yedlin obviously contained Eden Hazard very well. Julian Green scored with his first touch, and then uh, you get a 20-year-old college kid in Jordan Morris who, who scores against Mexico. Um, it, it's you know Jordan has he displayed a lot of the same qualities that we've seen from him over the years. He's he's very confident on the ball. He's he's fast. He he gets into the attack very quickly in terms of uh, running at players and and running around players to get to the ball. And he's that kind of forward who he he can play in the target role and kind of find space in the channels and and find the ball. And so I I thought he he showed his qualities very well. Uh, And it's a lot of the same stuff that I've seen from him since he was playing with the Sounders Academy in U18. 
And like you mentioned, I did I did play with his brother in college. Hi, Chris. I'm sure you're listening. Um, he's you know the family. It's a great family. Um, very soccer oriented family. Their dad, actually, Michael Morris, is the Sounders team doctor as well. So they're um, they're all very much ingrained in the uh, in the scene. Now, Brian, you you got a chance to talk to them a bit uh, after the game. Just just his reaction. Do you feel like he was kind of a a kid? you know, kind of just grasping a moment. Yeah, there was, there was one point where another writer asked him, uh, you know, so do you have like class the rest of the week? <laughs> and Jordan said, yeah. And the writer said, well, like, what's your next class? Well, you know, what do you have? And he, he couldn't answer the question. And, and it's not because he, he's clearly a kid who goes to class. You know, I mean, it, it's not like he didn't know. He just, he couldn't, he couldn't get his head to stop spinning long enough to figure out like where, you know, whether he had to be in, you know, English lit or biology on Thursday. He just had no idea. And, um, and that was just kind of cool. I mean, he just seemed genuinely, uh, genuinely excited. Um, you know, Michael Bradley gave him the, the captain's banner. So he had a cool souvenir to take away from the night. Um, and he was, he was just overwhelmed. I mean, the funny part of course, is when he says, I've been dreaming of this is since I've been a little kid and we all laugh and, you know, well, uh, you know, eight months ago, you know, I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he's such a young guy and, 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 um, yeah, and like you said before, it'll be interesting to see, you know, we saw with DeAndre Yedlin, um, and this is nothing against DeAndre Yedlin, but we saw how one thing after another, one meteoric jump in your career after another can eventually become just an enormous amount to take in. I mean, DeAndre Yedlin went from, you know, potentially fighting for playing time with the Sounders to the World Cup to Tottenham, you know, in a year, you know, or a year, but a little bit more than a year. And it's just an enormous amount. So, uh, the, the key for Jordan is going to be sort of to forget about this in a way uh, and go back to Stanford. He's, he's pledged to play his, his junior season there, um, and he's going to have to continue to sort of follow the same trajectory that's gotten him this far without going crazy and thinking that this goal, this moment, is, is going to catapult him. And, and, and from what Libby says, it sounds like he's got good people around him, and it sounds like that's a, a very plausible way this will turn out. But he, he plays the game smart. I mean, you can see, you know, the key for fours is to have their head up. You know, to know who's around them, to 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 sort of be scanning the field and moving and 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 figuring out you know where to find pockets and where to make themselves available when the ball's at his feet. Is he looking up? Is he trying to figure out where the support is? You know, where the seam is, and he does those things, and and those are really good signs. And and obviously, he was really alert on the goal and uh, and took it well, and and took it well after apparently missing everything in warmups. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. One thing that really strikes me about him going back to, you know, whether he's got his feet on the ground is just how humble he is. I mean, he's had he had success when he was playing for the Sounders Academy, uh, scoring a ton of goals. He was the Development Academy Player of the Year. And at the same time, he's still so, oh, I know I still have work to do and I, you know, I'm nowhere near the finished product. He's he's and it's not just a show. I mean, a lot of guys put that show on for the media, but even, you know, you turn the microphone off and you just try to talk informally with the guy and, and you can't get him to say anything that sounds halfway big-headed. So it's, uh, yeah, he's definitely got his feet on the ground. So, Livy, let me ask you this. I mean, I don't, I don't watch a ton of college soccer recently. Um, you know, his, his stats uh, in college are, are really modest. Um, and we were all sort of looking at them in the press box when, when, the, when, the, when the team sheet came out. We saw Morris was starting. I mean, a lot of us had the same instinct, you know, you know, okay, we knew about what he did with the Sounders Academy and, and, and we knew he was with the U23s and the U20s, but you know, what did he do in Stanford? What did he do in college? I think he had like four goals and five assists, uh, last season for Stanford, which is a really modest total. That's not that impressive. And just curious if you could sort of explain 
why? Like, shouldn't a player good enough to play for the senior national team be putting up some more impressive numbers against college kids? Well, I think it shows a little bit about the difference between college soccer and the professional game. I mean, in college, uh, the the players who are you know bigger, faster, stronger, that sort of thing, they still are, are the ones who end up with the better stats, and they still are the ones that end up succeeding a little bit more, whereas the smarter players, uh, they tend to get overshadowed a little bit. So uh, Jordan, his freshman season was the same the same year as uh, Christian Roldan, so Roldan ended up winning the Pac-12 freshman of the year, but they uh you know they're they're both good good examples of of this uh this trend where good players in college soccer tend to get overlooked because they 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 may not be the biggest or the fastest or or have the greatest physical qualities jordan's physical qualities obviously are what they are but he's actually i think better when he's on the ball in terms of his speed than he is when he's off the ball that long right. run for that long run in the first half he went 50 yards with the ball down the left channel and two mexicans without it couldn't catch him i mean that all that all sort of you know our, our jaws all dropped a little bit with how sort of ferocious he looked on the ball it was impressive exactly and that's the sort of thing that he does and and obviously he he needed to pull it back a little bit because he outrun, outran everybody including his own teammates but that's the sort of stuff that, that morris will do when he's on the ball and you, know, you get a guy like Christian Roldan who's also having a good start of his professional career with the Sounders, and now it looks like he's going to get called into the next U-20 camp as well. Um, these are the kinds of players who, who really stand out to, to professional scouts and to apparently national team scouts when they play at that level that, that maybe uh, people don't see when they're just looking at a stat sheet, with, with the exception of maybe Leo Stoltz, who was UCLA's playmaker and he obviously put up great numbers and he was a phenomenal player in college and, and everybody wanted him in the draft uh, you know these players sometimes uh, they tend to get overlooked when they're playing in college but then they get to the professional game and it's like oh that's that's why he's rated so highly and at the same time you get guys who end up with great numbers in college they go to the professional level and you're thinking what happened here where's the disconnect and I think that's a lot of it is in terms of how the game is played differently at each level you know who the big winner in all of this is, is Pac-12 soccer. I cannot wait for Stanford Cal. You're looking at Jordan Morris potentially trying to score on Jurgen Klinsmann's son, Jonathan, who could be, I mean, we, we don't know if he's going to be starting right away, but he's a freshman goalkeeper at Cal. How is that not must-see TV for any any U.S. soccer fan, right? Don't you want to see that? Don't you want to see Klinsmann in the stands, his son on one side, Jordan Morris on the other? I think that's fascinating. Because I've enjoyed the Pac-12 for for a couple of years now. The Pac-12, I think, has been very good. And obviously, I'm I'm in a position to say that because I I live on the West Coast and I see a lot of Pac-12 soccer compared to the other leagues. But I really I think it has been underrated for a while, and it's got a lot of good teams and and a lot of good players as well. Uh, the other goal scorer in in the game, Juan Agudelo. I feel like he's he's been kind of overshadowed because the Jordan Moore story is is pretty wild. But Agudelo, he's a guy. I mean, you talk about a, a cautionary tale that Jordan Morris doesn't really want to to follow. He, you know, first onto the scene as an 18-year-old, scored a goal in his first cap, uh, scored a goal in his next game against Argentina with Lionel Messi on the field, and then four years went by before he scored his, his next US, U.S. national team goal, which was, again, Wednesday night against Mexico. How... I mean, is this is this a rejuvenation? Is this... I mean, he's only 22. This is... This is a good thing, right? Juan Agudelo, the, the way he took down the pass from Michael Bradley, collected the ball, granted the defender slip because the field was terrible. However, he finished, he looked good, he looks confident. This is, you know, we're, we're looking for big picture things to take away from this game. Is that not one of them? 
it, it, I think it's one of them, and I think the, the 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 bigger issue that it brings to light, not that this is not something we don't talk about, is, is the decisions players make uh, in their careers in terms of where they go uh, when they go abroad, um, and 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 the challenges they can find there once they do. And and you know you look at Breck Shea, who's now in contention to be perhaps the starting left back for the Gold Cup team. You look at a guy like Juan Agudelo. Uh, there are other examples. Um, you know. You've got to go somewhere where you're going to play. You've got to go somewhere where uh, the club that that's that's brought you in is going to invest in you. And obviously, with Agadello, there was also a work permit issue. But but you know, you you need to be somewhere where you're going to play, where you're going to have responsibility on the field, where you're not you know where you're a guy who's counted on by your coaching staff and by your teammates, and and a place where you're going to get seen, uh, and where the national team staff, if that's something that you, that that's important to you. Uh, where, where the national team staff will have a get a, get the chance to to monitor your progress, um, and so Juan came back to New England. We we know how good that team is. Obviously, a, a goal away from the MLS title last year, uh, and he's now with a group where he matters, where he's counted on, uh, and, and where he can uh, play consistently week in week out and, and be in a chance to deliver. And so that that makes all the difference for a lot of these guys. You know, Josie Altador, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, be, be you know is is it better if you're starting for a competitive European club? Sure, but if that's not in the cards for you, go somewhere where you can play. Go somewhere where you can be an important player on your team and 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 get your confidence and your rhythm back. So you know, I mean, it's it's an embarrassment of riches right now on some level up front. I mean, because you've still got Josie Altador and Clint Dempsey uh, that are obviously still delivering at a decent level. And then underneath them, you know, Aaron Johansson, you know, now Agadello, all, all kinds of guys who, who can sort of, uh, you know, fill in and, and gives Klinsman a lot of options. And obviously the next step is is seeing, you know, what, what they do with this momentum, right? They've, they've got this big building block. Now what comes next? Does Juan Agadello come back to, to MLS play and score in, in four straight games and then establish himself really as a potential go-to forward for the goal cup? Or, or does he struggle? And for, for Jordan Morris, it's a little... A little different, obviously. He's not in season until the fall. There's a chance he could play again against Mexico, obviously. Uh, the U23s have a friendly on Wednesday in California. Um, you know, him kind of keeping that level and, and finding different building blocks will be a little bit different. But what they do going forward obviously matters a lot more than, than what they did Wednesday night. But that said, two pretty important goals and, of course, two goals that led to another Dos Acero, which is just endless fun for everyone north of the border. Uh, anyway... Um, spinning it forward a little bit, and then we'll we'll move on to some Champions League talk. Uh, the Gold Cup. Obviously, we're going to see a much different Mexican team in the Gold Cup. Uh, you know, Miguel Herrera using this friendly to kind of decide the 46 players that he's going to be using this summer in both Copa America and the Gold Cup. Klinsman obviously did not have his full A team at his disposal. Uh, USA Mexico. Should they meet again? Mexico with some of its European clout. The U.S. with a healthy Clint Dempsey and non-suspended Josie Altador. Which of these two is is the favorite, or is Costa Rica the World Cup quarterfinalist? Costa Rica should they be the favorite? Uh, I don't think Costa Rica is the favorite in the Gold Cup. I think Mexico and, and U.S. And Costa Rica had a wonderful run. Don't get me wrong, but you know history suggests. Uh, I mean, certainly no no Central American team has ever won the tournament, um, and and the U.S. and Mexico are still the heavyweights in the region. Um, still have the, the 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 deepest player pools to draw from, um, and and Jurgen Klinsmann. Anytime you open, you can ask him a question about what he ate for breakfast, and he'll bring it back to the Gold Cup and the Confederations Cup. I mean, he is—he <laughs> is, you know, pe- pe- there are there are people who have been frustrated by the tinkering and the experimentation, um, 
and, and, and I understand that because we want to see some sort of trend and trajectory developing. Uh, we want to see where this, how this team is going to get from, from point A to the point that Klinsman promised uh, regarding style of play and competitiveness. Um, and, and he was asked that, by the way, this week, if he's satisfied with this, that progress. And, of course, he said yes. Um, but the, the, the Gold Cup is where that stuff stops. Uh, he, he is planning to win that tournament. He is going to call in his very best uh, players, and he is going to put them on a field in a way that he thinks is going to win the game. So we'll have some answers when, you know, when we all wonder, what does this team look like in Klinsman's mind? What does this team look like when it's uh, play, playing its best or at least deployed in its ideal formation with its ideal starting eleven? Uh, we're we're going to get that answer this summer. He badly wants to win this tournament. He badly wants to go to the Confederations Cup. Um, and so we'll get a sense of what this is about. And obviously, like you said, Mexico, you know, they had a lot of players uh, with zero caps uh, on that on that roster the other night. Um, clearly, a far more experimental opportunity for Herrera. Herrera said after the game, you know, we're going to meet the U.S. again. Um, so, you know, we'll get a sense of where this rivalry is, uh, hopefully next summer. Uh, worth noting uh, that Klinsman has not yet lost to Mexico uh, since taking over for Bob Bradley. He is three zero and three against El Tri. That's a that's a stat that that matters. He never lost to them as a player either. He's got that that kind of mojo over them, which you know comes in handy as a, as a U.S. coach. Leave you what, just real quick. Your thoughts: uh, USA, Mexico, Costa Rica, Gold Cup. Where do you think it all shakes out? I think it depends a lot on how Miguel Herrera decides to split his squad between Copa America and uh, the Gold Cup, just because two major competitions like that in a short span, I mean, it's got to be difficult for him to decide which is more important, which which do you want to win. Obviously, the Gold Cup gets you uh, the possibility of playing in the Confederations Cup, but then again, you give some players experience at a level like Copa America, that's going to pay off big time in the long run. Um, so it's really an interesting balancing act that he has to do, whether he, he splits it evenly, whether he, he says, well, maybe the level of Copa America is a little bit higher, so i got to give a few more of my uh, A-list guys to that team. I think that really depends on what happens. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe the split goes completely wrong and, and Mexico doesn't play well at all and it ends up being the U.S. and Costa Rica who fight it out. Uh, it's just um, it's hard to tell at this point, and I, I don't envy him having to decide which of these competitions he wants to to put more emphasis on. And I think that will really play a big role in figuring out which which of these teams uh, we're talking about come the final in July. It's interesting. I think it was was it 2007. I, I may be wrong on this, but was it 2007 when Bob Bradley so, sort of brought a, a B team, an experimental team, down to the Copa America? Uh, you know, I think they lost all three games. Guy didn't do well, um, and there was a bit of a, a, a not an uproar, but there was some frustration about it. And and they just decided that wasn't worth it. That they're not going to go do that. They're not going to bring a B team to to Copa America. And so that was kind of the last time it happened. And I wonder if if uh, you know if if the the culture here has changed a little bit uh, to the point where that might work. You know, I mean, people certainly are giving Klinsman the benefit of the doubt. Uh, people have been pretty patient with him. Uh, regarding uh, the developmental stuff that he wants to put in and the culture change he wants to sort of institute. So I wonder if, you know, I wonder if American soccer fans and media are ready uh, to send a B team to the Copa America and get smacked around, uh, but understand that, like Livy, you said, it's an incredible experience, uh, you know, to go to go play Argentina or Uruguay and Brazil and South America to have that to have that atmosphere and that that pressure uh, you know, it, it can only do young players good, right? If you're able to look past the results. So 
I, I wonder if that's something that the U.S. Soccer Federation might want to consider in the future. Yeah, it's definitely something worth uh, worth looking at, and and also too. I mean, for for Mexico to to perform well on a Copa America stage in in Chile potentially, then you spin it ahead to 2016 when the tournament uh, is in the U.S. and it's the full, you know, it's the top half of Concacaf and and all of uh, of Commonwealth and, and the South American teams playing in the U.S. Uh, and to have that experience in your pocket already, that that can help, you know. You think well? Do you think we'll cover that, Ami? I I hope so, man. Absolutely, okay. you're kidding me. <laughs> of course, should be fun. Of course, yeah. That's that's going to be a blast. Uh, that and Euros in the same summer and the Olympics. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of sleepless Actually, nights. If you want to send me to France to cover the Euro? I'll do that too. We'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk, we'll talk about, about it. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I like I like that you went to to France and to Europe because now we're we're going to shift gears and, and talk about the UEFA Champions League. Uh, in between the legs of the quarterfinals, kind of like how Luis Suarez played the ball through the legs of David Luiz incessantly in Barcelona's 3-1 win in the first leg in Paris. Yeah, that happened. Uh, Liv, you, your thoughts on, uh, on just where things stand. That, that was quite the impressive performance from Barcelona. And then in Portugal, I mean Porto, taking it to Bayern Munich, that was a little bit unexpected, right? I'm I'm still a little bit in shock, kind of at at both uh, Luis Suarez and 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 your joke and Porto and everything. Just kind of, it, it was a really exciting day at Champions League Champions League soccer. It was uh, one of those days that this is why we watch the competition, right? You want to see stuff like this. You want to see Barcelona uh, dominating, but they need Luis Suarez to pull out a couple moments of magic to really uh, put that domination on the scoreboard as well. And then you, know, you come in with, uh, a lot of people come in with preconceived notion that, oh, uh, Bayern Munich is going to take it to Porto. I mean, Porto is, you know, one of the weaker teams remaining in the, in the last eight, supposedly. And they come out and just fall flat. And, and to the point where, you know, grasping at straws, looking for somebody to blame for what happened on the field at the Estadio do Dragao, uh, the Bayern Munich medical staff resigns because... They feel like they're being blamed for the loss, which was a huge story yesterday, and that was definitely shocking to me. That a, a doctor of uh, of that stature, who's been with with the German, both with the German national team and with Bayern Munich for a long time, uh, just uh, the way he did it too. Uh, he sent his kind of a statement to various German media, and uh, the doctor's name, by the way, Doctor Hans Wilhelm Müller Wolfart. Uh, resigning as a Bayern Munich physician, and and Bayern didn't even know. They they the, their official statement was, well, we we haven't heard about this yet, so we we don't really have a comment at this point. And that was yesterday. Um, so just a whole crazy mess in the Champions League. And again, this is why we watch the competition. This is the kind of stuff we want to see. Yeah, that that's crazy. Could you imagine the U.S. medical staff resigning after the World Cup because of everybody's hamstring falling off. I mean that that's it's crazy. It's it's absolutely insane. And it's also a testament to the the pressure that these these guys are under. It's not like Bayern Munich is this this, you know, cheeky underdog looking to find success for the first time. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of guys have injuries this season. It's a problem they've been dealing with, but that's oh, I mean, it's crazy to me that a medical staff will resign because they think they're being blamed. Uh, for their struggles. That said, Porto, they're still undefeated in Champions League this year. I know, you know, undefeated obviously means win or tie, but that is impressive. And the the way they took it to Bayern in the opening 10 minutes and, and the way Bayern looked 
uh, in that game. That was that was shocking to me. Uh, I you know they got an away goal. I wouldn't count them out of it yet. Obviously, you'd be crazy to do that. You know the atmosphere uh, in Munich is is going to be insane for the second leg. Um, on the other hand, PSG. I I don't you know they'll get Zlatan Ibrahimovic back from suspension. I, I don't know that they can overcome giving up three away goals to Barcelona and a two-goal deficit uh, at the Camp Nou. That doesn't really seem as feasible to me. Uh, and the two games we haven't talked about yet, Juventus-Monaco, Juventus up uh, one nothing on an Arturo Vidal penalty kick, and then Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid tied at zeros across the board heading into the second leg. Uh, how do you see those two shaking out, Liviu, and, and do we see the Luis Suarez-Giorgio Chiellini rematch in the semifinals, Barcelona Juventus. That would be that would be a, a great storyline uh, for sure, and another one of those. Again, the reason why we watch this competition, right? Um, I, I, it's it's tough to say. The Madrid derby is always so up in the air. Anytime they play, it's just like any other derby game, right? You throw past results out the window and all that fun stuff. Um, but it, I mean, it's true to an extent, and. The one competition where Real has really had Atletico's number uh, in the last couple of years has been the Champions League. Obviously, they met in the final. looked like Atletico was going to win until that last, last gasp goal uh, to send it into extra time where Diego Simeone's team just ran out of gas. I mean, when you play at that intensity for, for 90 minutes, uh, you can't be expected to do it for half an hour longer because it's, it's insane how hard those guys work just for the time that they're on the field already. Um, so I think that... You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at at the Santiago Bernabeu, just because it, it could go either way. Still, it really it really could go either way, and I, I don't know if I have an actual prediction for that, just because of I mean it's zero zero right now. Nobody has an away goal to hang their hat on. Anything could happen, and that's another part of the beauty of this competition. That really, when you get down to it in a ninety minute period, it seems like almost anything could happen. Um, that being said, I, I don't think that PSG can come back. That's something that I don't think will happen. Um, it, even with Zlatan Ibrahimovic back, uh, he would have to score a hat trick like he did against against Portugal in the World Cup qualifiers, and he would have to... Um, I mean, it, 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 Barcelona would have to completely collapse and not score at home, which I don't see happening. Livio, how, how much credit... I, I, don't, I don't perhaps read as much about this as you do, but, but how much credit do you think Luis Enrique deserves or how much credit is he getting for really figuring out how to how to get Suarez, Neymar and Messi to 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 have the chemistry they've had and to really sort of find roles uh, that fit them and 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 you know to be able to produce. I mean Barcelona looks as strong now as as they did uh, I guess in 2011 the last time they won they won the competition and and these are three guys who people wondered how they were all going to fit together on the same field. Yeah, it's been an interesting progression with Barcelona. Early in the year, Luis Enrique is still trying to play the same, you know, intricate passing style in the midfield and really focus the game in the middle of the field. And then eventually he realizes, well, this isn't quite working as well as it should because our best three players aren't on the ball as often as they should be. So now they play, it's not exactly playing direct, it's still playing through the middle, but they try to get the ball to those top three as early as possible. And it, you've seen. You know, a lot of people talking about can multiple superstars on the same team work? You see what happens when egos get in the way in terms of Real Madrid with Cristiano and, and Gareth Bale's not having a great time recently. And, and then Karim Benzema, who for all, all the overshadow, for how overshadowed he is, 
is still an excellent player and would be a star on any other team, the star on any other team. Uh, but Barcelona really finds a way, and Luis Suarez has they found a way to make Luis Suarez into this guy who's not playing for himself. He's obviously playing for the team, and he's, you know, in Barcelona more than anywhere else, you can't play for yourself. You have to play for the team. You have to. There's a real reverence for the history of the club, and there's a real understanding that, as as their club motto is, you know, it's more than a club. It's it's more than about one person, and and they've really all embraced that, and it's it's really shown in the last few games, especially. All right, prediction time. You're not hedging. I'm I'm getting four four semifinalists from you, Brian. You as well. Uh, I'll 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 throw mine out too. First, I see Byron coming back, which hmm, we'll see. I don't know. I'm a little fifty fifty on that. But Byron, sure. Barcelona, absolutely. Juventus going through. We're getting Suarez, Chiellini. I cannot wait just to rewatch all the World Cup highlights, and I am gonna lean towards Real Madrid. I actually happen to think that Atletico has the edge because they you know one goal for them essentially counts as more. But I think Real Madrid gets it done, and we get all the heavy hitters into the semifinals for what should be an incredible Final Four. Livio, what do you got? I'll agree with you on all but one. I think Atletico will pull it out. Uh, it's It's been a rough, a little bit of a rougher patch for Real Madrid recently, and Atletico has also had its its moments, but they've seemed to come through it a little bit stronger. There's, there's none of this kind of... Uh, factions in the same squad kind of breaking off and nobody's saying I should be playing over this guy or whatever it, it's it, everybody's really committed to the cause and and Real Madrid I just feel like their kind of their team chemistry is so fragile that if one thing goes wrong one or two things go wrong you see a couple guys kind of uh, throw their arms up and and maybe start to to collapse a little bit I, I think um, so I think Atletico will get that one done. I think we will see Juventus go through as well. I, I think Bayern will come back um, at home. It's going to be it's going to be tough to ask uh, Porto to put together another performance like that, and it will take another performance like that, and possibly even better to to do the same against Bayern in its own house. And a lot of what happened, I think, is a product of the fact that Bayern Munich doesn't have the weekly pressure to win like it does early in the season because at this point, you know, they're still in the in the German Cup and, and the league is pretty much locked up. So they're, they're they're not you can't say that they take their foot off the gas because Guardiola wouldn't allow that. But at the same time, that whether you let it or not, that will creep into the back of your mind that, oh, whatever, look at the gap we have at, to- at the top of the table. If we lose this game or if we tie this game, it's not that big of a deal. In the Champions League, you can't do that. You have to play, you have to try to win every game. And uh, I, I think they, that last game is enough of a wake-up call. And it didn't get to disastrous point like it did against Real Madrid last year. So I think they do have time to come back. And I think Guardiola will find a way to get it done. The other games, obviously, um, PSG, I think, has no chance. Um, and Barcelona will also go through. Okay. That's, and I like that point, actually, about the, the motivation factor. That, I feel like that is an intangible that, that most people don't necessarily think of right away. Uh, Brian, your final four real quick. Uh, Porto is trailing Benfica in the Portuguese league, but they've got a, I just looked it up, they've got a relatively easy home game uh, this weekend. Um, I'll go with them to pull the upset. Why not if, if, uh, if we've got sort of a little bit of chaos inside Bayern Munich with doctors resigning and fingers pointing and all kinds of that. Let, let's, let's go with Porto uh, holding on uh, to oust Bayern. Um, I think Real Madrid and Barcelona are on a semifinal collision course uh, so I'll say uh, Bayern and, and I'm sorry, I'll say Porto and Juve in one semi and uh, an El Clasico uh, 
semifinal and the other half of the bracket, Barcelona and Real Madrid. That'd be something. And that'd be awesome, too, because, you know, the final, obviously, is one game, a semifinal, two games, you get two Clasicos. That would be spectacular. One last note to kind of wrap it up full circle. A pair of Mexicans, uh, Mexican national team players, still alive in the Champions League, Raul Jimenez at, uh, at Atletico Madrid, and a pair at Porto, Diego Reyes and Hector Herrera. Herrera, who's been playing extremely well, uh, in my opinion, and, and is someone to watch for the summer, whether that is at Copa America or the Gold Cup. Don't forget an American playing in next week's CONCACAF Champions League final. Well, obviously several with Montreal, but also Ventura Alvarado at Club America in the first leg next week. That is a fair point as well. A lot of Mexican national team players, U.S. national team players making news this week. That's the way we like it. It keeps our jobs interesting. Guys, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again next week. For Brian Strauss, Leave You Bird, I am Avi Creditor. We'll talk to you next time. About the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.